the hard work in the rocket world, in the NASA world, is the, the secret sauce. It is, you have a theory, you think it's going to work. Can you design it to show that, that whatever it is on, in your mind is actually can be real? And then after you design something that can be real, does it work? Can we fix it so it doesn't break? Failure is a part of the major success. The trick is, is to catch the failure early. Mm. I'm going to give everyone six questions that they can ask themselves. And this isn't easy, but it's meaningful and it's going to change your life. Welcome back to Redefine You, a conversation for well-being, where we have open and honest conversations. As when one shares their vulnerability in such a way, we're encouraged to look within. Redefine You is meant to inspire you to look within and guide you to lead a life being grounded in you. Perhaps the most important members of any community are its leaders, people who see a path forward and help others make progress, my guest today overcame poverty, gang violence, and sexual abuse while turning failing math grades into an award-winning career as a rocket scientist, helping NASA launch 28 space shuttle missions. That is strength. She then took her answers and turned them into groundbreaking books on how to unleash the raw power of the human brain and devoted herself to helping others overcome their limitations. It's no surprise she's one of the most important and most sought after teachers, speakers, and leaders on earth. Bringing Olympia LaPointe to the podcast today helps fulfill a promise I made to my community to bring us the very best sources of strength and inspiration. Welcome, Olympia. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for welcoming me. I am honored to be on your show, and I'm honored to share my knowledge with your listeners today. So thank you. Thank you. So so we start this podcast every time by asking our guests to check in with themselves. If you were to check in with you right here, right now, what would you find? If I were to check in with myself, I would check in and say, I'm doing a great job given all the things that I went through in the past. And there is more for me to learn. And that mm. is the message for all of us today is that no matter what you've experienced in the past, you have that beautiful future in front of you. And there's key things that you need to learn. And we all need to learn in order to move forward. And so for me, there's still so much to learn. And I am happy to share what I've learned with all of the listeners and viewers today. I think that's a wonderful place to start, you know, because I always say that a beginner's mind is where you always want to begin and start with. Because if you are somebody who feels like you have all the knowledge, then there's no more curiosity to be able to accomplish more. And we're always in a place of learning. There's always new things that we can develop. I'm fascinated, though, by your journey, obviously, as a rocket scientist, something that I'm definitely not familiar with. So I really want to start off by just asking you, what is a rocket scientist? What is your day-to-day J-O-B for anybody who's listening before we get into the nitty-gritty of it all? Oh, gosh, that is a question. That is a really big question. So what is a rocket scientist? Well, a rocket scientist is, the formal definition of a rocket scientist is a propulsion scientist. It's someone who uses mathematics and science to launch rockets into space. And so I right. did that for nearly 10 years for NASA. I helped launch 28 missions, 28 spatial missions into space with a team of great people. And I sat supporting mission control and I did that for 10 years. And so I realized that being a rocket scientist doesn't end. Even though I leave rocket science, I still have the ability to launch great things into the future. And that's what I decided to do with my educational book series, Answers Unleashed, uh, is to understand the science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, and more importantly, patterns. Patterns that we see in our everyday life so we can use the innovation, think of new things, find new patterns, and launch great innovation, not only into space, but into our daily lives, whether it be climate change, whether it be changing our career, whether it be uh, finding the next love, uh, who is going to be your next husband, <laughs> whatever <laughs> it is, we have each the decision-making power to launch great things in our life. And for me, when I was launching rockets, I was with a team of great people, and I used mathematics and science to calculate the probability of catastrophic explosions within launch. So 
Uh, just if anyone remembers Challenger, the Challenger explosion in 1986, January 28th, 1986, or anyone remembers Columbia. Those were the space shuttles that uh, did not successfully enter outer space or return back to Earth. And so innocent lives, astronaut lives were lost. So I was hired as a specialist, a mathematician, to look at the numbers, to see the future, and help prevent those type of catastrophic situations with mathematics and science. So that's what I did, and I was very successful at it for nearly 10 years. Well, I know that you speak so beautifully and vulnerably about the challenges that you had during your road to getting there. And I want to tap into that for a second, for somebody to get to know Olympia for a moment beyond just, you know, the profession that you've created and the wonderful achievements that you've had. I think that it's amazing to showcase that you can struggle and still succeed, that we have challenges along the way to get to where we want to be. And so I would love to ask, you know, how were you able to take a positive approach to handling your difficulties before becoming a rocket scientist? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question. I think that needs to be just a, oh, an hour long uh, uh, television show within itself. But uh, I I struggled a lot growing up. And it, any type of triggering situation that you can imagine was thrown in my direction. Right. Uh, I grew up in South Los Angeles on the borderline of South Central, and we did not have food to eat. We grew up in complete poverty. And it was our mother raising four of us by herself. And it was very stressful yeah. for her and all of us. We're in the middle of gang violence. At, like, uh, for example, on the street corner, there was usually every Friday somebody was killed due, due to gang violence. and. We always had to wear black every single day because if we wore any wrong color, like blue or red, that could possibly uh, signal a gang into doing a shooting. And so it was very, it was very tough. Uh, next door, when I was uh, eight years old, uh, nine years old specifically, there was a crack house, a drug house that was right next door. And our mother was scared that there was going to be flying bullets from the crack house from any type of wrong drug deal. And so she put metal up against the wall. So if any bullet came through the wall, but hit the metal and then she turned our beds in a certain direction. So if the bullet came through the wall and went through the metal, it would have hit our feet first and not our head. That is, wow. that is the type of trauma that, that I had to reprogram my mind over. And then not only that, uh, it's very tough for single parents to go through situations when they're trying to raise children and there's predators. Uh, there was a family, uh, a family quote friend that came into uh, the household and he was a predator and I was sexually abused. And it took me years to be able to speak up for myself and, and say, do you know what? This is what happened. This isn't right. This was an assault. It, it was not something that was in my best interest. But during all of those horrible type of situations, I kept in the back of my mind, my future. Mm. No matter what type of horrible situations we are in, there is still always a great future for us. I know it sounds very difficult to understand that, especially if you're going through it. And I can personally, from experience, can say this, no matter what you have gone through, there is a beautiful future for you, but you have to choose it. And the way that yeah. you choose it is by making the decisions that are going to be powerful in your life to change your current situation into the situation that you want for yourself. And yeah. for me, I wanted to be successful. I wanted income for food. I wanted to make sure and have a safe home for myself. I wanted to make sure that I had the mental health and the strength that was going to be needed to be able to go through life and to become a rocket scientist. I had a field trip when I was six years old to the Jet Proportion Laboratory, and it was where there that moment in time where I realized I could be a scientist. I decided that I was not going to allow what someone else's definition of my future was going to be. I wasn't going to allow that to be my future. I was going to own my life and I was going to own my future no matter what it took. And that was the decision that helped me get through everything. 
which is amazing. And I think that you are definitely somebody who is strong-willed and I applaud you for being able to sit where you are and also be able to feel grounded enough to speak openly about your story because I think it showcases that it is true. You can fight through so much adversity with the power of your mindset and your willpower and just the knowledge of believing in yourself. And I think that's what, you know, rings true with you. It's you had this belief system from a very young age that no matter what was going to be thrown into your way, I was going to overcome it. I was going to get to where I knew that I deserved. And my worth was still there, even if there were people telling me that I was worthless. And Mm -hmm. I think that is one of the most beautiful things that you can do and that you can preach. And I thank you for doing that, even just with, your challenges of being able to speak authentically to your story and sharing that with other people. And and it's the power of letting people into your vulnerability as well as your strengths. I love that you obviously said that when you went into the school trip, that's when you kind of got that opportunity to kind of see the world with different lenses, right? By being like, oh my God, I had no idea that I could be this person or I could be this scientist. And I know this is this is completely off subject, but I will say this one thing because it's so interesting to me that you say that because I I do a lot of work within the body image world and we talk a lot about how Barbie and different Barbie dolls have an impact on what we see as women can you know make ourselves be aspirations to be. And there was a doll called the Lamilly doll, and the Lamilly doll represented the average size of a you know twelve year old girl in America. And you were allowed to put stretch marks on her, and you could put acne on her, and you could dress her up as different occupations. And I think it allowed for these kids to see that they could be a scientist, that they could be something more than just a fashion model, or they didn't have to look a specific way. And I know that that's a different sort of thing that we're talking about. So I'm sorry to off, but I think it's another example of the importance for children to be able to have school trips and to have dolls that identify with somebody and leaders like you to be able to showcase that you can achieve your goals and that even if you haven't seen it, that you can be the one to be able to make that path change. So you bring up a wonderful point, uh, Barbie dolls and, and things like that. Uh, and and this is this is what I take from that that comment yeah. is that it is okay to be the first often often yes. we are so brainwashed to think that we can't do something because there's no one that's done it before well that means that you're the po- you're supposed to be the person to do it that's what it means and so when i saw the like when the barbie dolls when i was younger i thought to myself i could be pretty and i could know science i could i could yeah. get out of the situation and i can do well as a rocket scientist, I can do both. And it was like, it was like when, this is the best way for me to put it. When I went through such terrible things when I was younger, it's like, since I didn't, I didn't allow the word no to stop me. It's like, if I could go through that. Right. And if I, I, if I lived through that. Yeah. I can get through a lot of things. Let's see what else I can do. Let's see. Let's, Let's choose what I want to do. Let me see what I can get through from what I choose this time. And that was the empowering moment where I realized I get a chance to choose my life. And that's the power that we all have. We have the ability to choose the direction of our life. It's no, it's no accident that you're watching this podcast or you're listening to this podcast. You were supposed to know that you have such an amazing power through your free will that you have the ability to choose the direction of your life. And it all starts with every decision that you make. Right. And I think I think it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to just remember, just to recap what you just said, is that don't be fearful if it hasn't been done before. Be more eager and more excited to break that barrier because my whole career has been fighting barriers of being able to say that I can accept myself the way that I am, no matter what shape or size, and then I'm beautiful. And that even though may, people may want to fight that, I still will sit in my place because I know that I'm worthy to sit here. So I think it's a wonderful, wonderful lesson in so many aspects of life. And most importantly, just in believing in yourself and knowing that you can be the first person that rewrites that story. And that's exactly what you've done. I really want to tap into NASA a little bit because I think NASA, everyone talks about it. They're aware of it. But 
do we really know all the nitty gritty that goes on behind the scenes? And this is where I'm like really excited to talk to you about it. NASA, NASA necessarily what? They strap people into enormous tanks of rocket fuel. They blast them into an environment devoid of any life-sustaining properties at the cost of billions of dollars and the reputation of the United States. And you have to know beyond a shadow of doubt that things are going to work out. And that is one of the hardest things to have that pressure on you as well. Where does that confidence come? You know, from to attempt such an incredibly dangerous endeavor with no room for any trial or error, you know. Confidence doesn't come. Confidence doesn't come overnight. It does not. You, when you launch, you still are not sure of the future. But this is what you are sure of. You are sure of your theory. You are sure that you've done every single thing to develop that theory. You are sure of every single test, hot fire, every single time that you spent in that room, making sure that that engine actually fires the way it's supposed to fire. You've tested this every single direction and angle I can go. In life, you never, ever know the future fully. Never. No, none of us, none of us know the future exactly. And that's yeah. just the beautiful part about being a human. But there is such thing as confidence from doing the work, doing the work. And, and I really say this deeply because People underestimate doing the work. Now, in my career, I not only had to overcome the odds. For example, one out of 31,000 African-American women or women of color go into rocket science. That's You have a better chance of being hit by lightning once. But in order to go into the science fields, you have to first pass your math classes in college. And 60% of the science, the science, technology, engineering, mathematics, students when they're in college usually drop out because they do poorly in mathematics. And that was the reason why I wrote my first book, Mathophobia, is to help people overcome that fear of math so they could do that hard work. They could do the Mm -hmm. hard work of the mathematics and know how to do it. And then when you got into the aerospace world, I was like one of the only women. And then I was definitely the only woman of color in the room who was choosing uh, to do the science that was launching rockets into space. And it was doing the work. And as a woman, I had to work twice as hard as right. the men. And, and unfortunately, that's what we are living in right now. It's because the women all across the society in the United States and across the world typically are not viewed as competent or credible, as just great as a scientist, as some of their male counterparts. Mm -hmm. So in order to show that type of work, I had to work twice as hard. And then being a person of color, I had to work three times as hard. And it was, it was challenging, but the hard work is what allowed me to get through. It was that dedication. It was like, for example, this may sound trivial, but uh, there was like for 10 years, I didn't know what was happening in pop culture. I didn't know what was happening in the news. The reason why is I had to go home and study. I had to go home and study. Even though I was working in NASA, I had to understand bending moments, uh, how an engine uh, flexes and bends during high stress moments. I didn't study that in school. I had to study that while I was on the job. Uh, uh, heat flux. Uh, like, for example, if the reason why the fire heats and, and pushes uh, the air in a certain direction for the, the, the space shuttle or any type of space vehicle launch is because of the high heat flux and the thermal dynamics that happen within the engine. For I didn't know that information when I went to school. I had to study this. And so I was studying how chemical reactions are occurring and how there's like tornadoes that happen with fire that, that happen that allows to push things up. And it, it was that studying process of choosing to go home and study. Uh, I was in my 20s. I could have been out uh, going out and doing all the things like all the rest of 20-year-olds, but I I was choosing to still take that work ethic that I learned from college to overcome my fear of mathematics and, and to graduate in the science fields and the STEM fields and still use that work ethic to actually put myself in a position where I, I even though I had to work twice as hard and three times as hard, I was going to be successful. And it is a decision to be successful. It doesn't fall out of the sky. It is, I'm going to be successful and I'm going to dedicate the time that it takes in the work it takes to do this. And after, even afterwards, leaving science and starting up my business and and writing my books and creating my uh, book publishing company, it was deciding to put in the work, deciding to put in the revenue, deciding to do that. And the hard work of in the rocket 
world and the NASA world is the, the secret sauce. It is, you have a theory, you think it's going to work. Can you design it to show that, that whatever it is on, in your mind is actually can be real? Mm-hmm. And then after you design something that can be real, does it work? Can you test it? Is it going to work no matter what? What times does it break? Can we fix it so it doesn't break? And then once it does work, and it does work in all situations, will it do the job? Can it handle what it was made to do? And so in that, in that those are simple questions, but that is the idea of NASA. It is creating something in your, a brilliant envision that you see for the future, creating it, making sure if it works, testing it to find out what times it breaks, fixing it so it doesn't break, and then testing it again to see if it will do the job that you created it to do. And once it does, voila, you have a rocket engine, you have a space shuttle, and you have something to take you into the future. What I hear is just enormous amount of, you know, hard work, dedication, love, passion, all of the the above, which I'm a huge fan of. I get you, girl. I mean, I was in my 20s, you know, I got everything out earlier. So in my 20s, I was like dedicated and I loved it, you know, and I had people get a hobby. My work's my hobby, you know, and that's okay. And I think over time you start to find the power in being able to say that your work is your hobby and that you're passionate towards what you love and it's become a profession. I'm curious though, because somebody who may have such a dedicated hard work ethic, right, may challenge themselves when something fails, right? There's some people out there that have a hard time with putting so much into something and then it's failing. And I'm sure with what you're talking about, there are a lot of theories, there are a lot of trial and errors, and there was a lot of failure, but the failure is always a step closer to what needs to go right. But not everybody has that sort of mindset. So I would be curious to know in your journey, either for yourself or people that colleagues of yours, when they saw something fail and it hit them hard to their core, what did they do to be able to pick themselves back up to know that they're actually one step closer to the success? Oh, that is an amazing question. May I just tell you, that is probably one of the best questions I think I've ever been asked. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Failure is a part of the major success. Yeah. Failure, and I'm going to say that again. Failure is a part of the major success. The trick is, is to catch the failure early. Mm. The trick is to catch the failure early. You're going to make, you're going to fail. and you. You should anticipate failing. Look forward to failing because it's going to give you the direction that you need to take next so you actually do well in the future. Uh, for me, I, I started failing real real early. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I what did you do? Algebra. What was in your toolbox to say, yeah. you know what, girl, you got to pick up your big boots and know that it's okay to fail. It was, I started failing early. I failed algebra at, when I was like uh, in eighth grade. That was like first time where I was like, oh my God. And I was going through emotional trauma. I didn't realize that people have difficulty studying the science, technology, engineering, mathematics uh, when there's emotional trauma that goes on. People have no idea that STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics actually promotes mental health because it helps rewire the left and right side of the brain and connects the two. So when people are experiencing a lot of fear, that's when they usually start failing math classes, surprisingly. And so uh, I I started failing uh, I, I started failing eighth grade algebra and then I failed calculus and chemistry and geometry those are all the classes I failed and I thought I wasn't going to be going. I love to how you remember world. all of them too. You're like they're well, because on a hand, I had to take implanted. these classes over. <laughs> it's like implanted in my in my mind. I know exactly what classes I failed. Yes, I failed classes it, it, too, guys, but I don't remember which ones. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's amazing. Uh, that's when I the started my failures. And then I realized that was a gift because if I could master the science and the math and I could take those classes over, I could overcome my fear. And so yeah. I worked with a teacher and then I realized I could overcome my fear of math. What else could I overcome my fear of? And it was that moment of, I failed before I can fail again. And I don't like it though. It took me a long time to not look at myself now here's the big here's the big mental challenge for you and, and, and I would say for you for the entire audience you right 
when you are audience, when you fail, you have to realize you are not the failure. Yeah. It is the process that you have taken that has failed. That is the big difference. When I, I, for years, I had to go through so many years of psychological therapy to get solid mental health for me to realize I wasn't a failure, even though I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't raised in wealth and I wasn't raised uh, with opportunities and I had to fight to get an education and then literally, and then I had to go through it. I wasn't the failure. When I failed, I wasn't the failure. It was what I was attempting to do didn't work. That's a big difference. So that whenever you fail, it's because whatever it is done needs to be changed. Whatever what was done, there's another approach that will work far better that will give you better results. And when I looked at failure that way, which is okay, and, and a lot of people look at um, failure when they're when they fail, they're like being punished. Like, oh my mm-hmm. God, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's it's bad. No, it's not bad. It's just showing you there's a different way to do something so you get to your end result faster. Amen. Amen. <laughs> because I get it. I always say when one door closes, two more doors open. And it's a way of being able to say that you want to dive into all different life experiences, try different arenas of things that may work for you. And if it doesn't, don't feel like, again, it's the failure of the self. It is the failure of the idea of which you felt like this is what you wanted to go down. And now learn from that, take the pieces that you loved and and really identify where you want to go next. Yes. And with science and specifically mathematics, a failure is a part of the process mathematicians fail all the time. They make mistakes all the time. That's why erasers were built. When you use a pencil, there's an eraser to erase it and start over. And that's, that's the whole journey of a mathematician. I am, I am technically a mathematician where I look at patterns and I see patterns and I can predict the pattern using the tool of mathematics and science. So scientists fail all the time. Their job is to take that failure and point it to the right direction that will give them the success. And we all have that ability. I love it. I think it's amazing. And I think it's super useful and so intriguing to hear from it from that kind of point of view as well. I know that you were sitting and supporting in mission control, which is a whole nother beast than just being able to get a part of the NASA space shuttle and making it and getting it off the ground and so forth and so forth. Now you're actually sitting there seeing the creation that you made go up into space and knowing if it actually worked and the pressure that you may have felt during that. You know, what did you learn about yourself during those moments? What did Olympia learn about herself? Was she proud of herself? Did you sit there and worry? I mean, where was your head during these different points of time? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, there was actually a backstory to launch rockets. Right before I had the ability to launch rockets, uh, my mother was in a catastrophic uh, car accident. Mm. When she was, uh, when I when I was young, I was 27 and my mother uh, was in this about pedestrian. She was a pedestrian in a car related accident and she survived, but she had to go through brain surgery and it was very tough for her. And she came through and she's very alive and well. And, and she is, uh, when you meet her, you have no idea that she's ever gotten through that. That is like a miracle within itself, which is like a blessing. Um, uh, but right, I'd say a good six months right before I had the opportunity to help launch, uh, help launch rockets and support mission control, I was taking care of my mom at home. And the the backstory is that uh, I was finishing out my thesis, my my higher degrees in mathematics, and it needed to be put into the graduate office by a certain date. And my mother, I was helping her learn how to walk and talk and eat and sleep again at my house. And Mm -hmm. I was working and I was coming home and I was sleeping like three hours a night. And I remember thinking to myself, how can I do this? And I remember praying, literally praying, asking God to help me multiply the hours that I had in order to fulfill these requirements. Because I had three lives on the line. I had my own future with my degrees on the line. 
I had my mother's life online. My job was to help her. And then I had the astronauts' lives on the line. I had to make sure that the numbers were right with them. And I remember asking God for help. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I remember, and I'm a spiritual person. Not, not everybody operates the same way, but for me, uh, I chose to ask God for help. I'm like, God, help me get through this. This is probably one of the toughest moments I've ever experienced. Help me get through this. And the great news is that uh, during that time, I got uh, help. I went to psychological counseling. It was my one of my uh, great mentors over at the job that I was at. He's like, I think you're going through a lot, Olympia. I'd suggest that you go over and talk to one of our counselors that we have here at work. And that was probably one of the best decisions that I ever made because I was able to realize that these stressful situations that I was uh, experiencing was triggering moments from my youth and my past. And as I could realize that I could not be triggered, but rather I could actually be grounded. I could actually look at the situation for what it is and not remembering something in the past. I could actually look at a situation calmly and rationally and make solid decisions in the moment, not thinking about what I've done wrong before or what could be better, but look at the present moment and figure out what my decisions could be right now. That was the moment in my adult life that I realized the present moment is where we have our power to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And it is that moment where I realized I can get through this based on what I choose to do. And the great news is that my mother got better. She, she's, she walks around and communicates and sleeps well. And she, she has her, she has her own recovery that she continuously is through. And I was able to successfully uh, gain my higher degrees in mathematics from California State University, Northridge. And then uh, I regained that solid thinking to be able to sit in mission control with the most stressful situations that you can imagine. And I remember thinking to myself, I've done the work. Mm. I've gotten, I've gotten my degree. I've, I've done that work. I have helped my mother get to the point of where she can function uh, the same way. I can sit here and get this launch happening. And it was that, it was that moment in time realized anything that was thrown at me, I can handle it because I've gone through it. And we had to answer questions in five minute time frame. Let's say a valve wasn't opening and there was hot gas going into a certain location and that hot gas wasn't supposed to be over there. We had to identify every single part in that pneumatic sequence to be able to determine where there was potential explosions down the line and couldn't catch it enough time. That's how fast our brain had to work. And it was the only way that your brain can work fast like that is if you are in that moment, in that present time. You can't think fast. You can't solve problems. You can't do amazing things if you can't right now look at this present moment and appreciate it for what it is. And each time that we have that ability to become solid in this moment, that's what gains our brain power. That's what allows us to become stronger in our thinking. And that will allow us to be able to launch great things in the future. Well, you talk about that, don't you? All the time, how to unleash your brain's power with science. If you were to speak to somebody today and and kind of just give them a daily practice to work towards, to unleash that, how what, what could they do necessarily to be able to benefit? Possibly also just understanding your brain, understanding yeah. how it works and, and the way in which you need to be served. Because I think we are all different, but we have the same sort of place to start with, right? So yeah. it's a wonderful thing for you to kind of help people identify a little bit more about themselves and why neuroscience is so important for our own sense of growth and our own achievements. Uh, I love these questions because this is like the heart of what I do. I wrote a series of books, Answers Unleashed book series. My first book is Mathophobia. The second book is Answers Unleashed, The Science of Unleashing Your Brain's Power. And the third book is Answers Unleashed 2, The Science of Attracting What You Want. And I, this you can you can pick up the series if you go to answersunleashed.com slash books you'll find the series but I'm going to s- summarize the the series in in a way with three steps so your listeners can walk away with something that's going to be powerful for them yeah the first step is to see what you want in the future and it's a powerful 
way to do that. I, I my background is Native American, and um, I'm a firm believer that we have the power in our lives to actually walk on this earth in a powerful way. So we actually serve the earth in the way in which we were designed. Mm-hmm. And with that thinking, uh, the first thing that that I do is I write a plan on paper. And wood is very, very important in the Native American world because it transfers energy. It is something that allows you to transfer something out of your head into, into the earth, into this daily living. So I literally, just as simple as it sounds, I take a piece of paper and I write down what I want. Simple, 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 simple. But when I do that, it becomes my own contract. It becomes mm-hmm. my own plan. I know what I'm aiming for. So the question is, what can I build in order to get there? So dear, dear listeners, and if you're a listener listening, I want you to take a piece of paper, simple piece of paper, write down 10 things that you would like to accomplish in the next five years. And these are things that not just in your career, it's in your relationships and, and it's in your in who you are, your relationships, uh, how you want your finances, what you want to learn how you see yourselves in your environment. What do you want to accomplish? Who do you want to be in those years? And write it down. And when you see that, each step, write down the the detail that you see in each step. Write down exactly what it is that you want in in those areas. The second point. The second point is you have to address your fears. You have to name them and start releasing them. There's six moments in our past that made us question our faith, made us question our uh, identity, made us question our intent, made us question how we learn, made us question how we use our resources and what things that we can attract and be successful with. And there's been a time in, in your past where you questioned your ability to love and be loved. Every single person on the face of this planet has gone through these six moments or are going through these six moments. You have to identify those moments and look at the, I call it the lie. These moments of fear, there's usually a lie introduced into your thinking process where you think that's the truth. But in reality, there is a truth to your situation. And once you embrace that truth, you're able to move forward. For example, when I was younger, I failed mathematics. I had to go back to those years of failing and I had to look at myself and take out the lie from my thinking. Mm. The lie was I was never going to amount to much because I had failed. That was the lie. I had to go back in time, talk to myself, coach myself, connect with myself. In quantum physics, it's called quantum entanglement. That's what Albert Einstein talked about. When two things meet, they become entangled. And even though they separate and could be miles apart, years apart, they still take on positive and negative qualities from one another. I had to go back to my past self, connect with my past self, tell myself the positive qualities that I had in order to pull the younger part of me back to be able to know the truth. And the truth was you can do whatever you put your mind to, but you have to dedicate the time to do. Yeah. For me, that was my truth. Everyone has their own truth that they have to know and tell themselves. And the third step is, after you go back into the past and tell yourself what the truth is, at the present moment, you've got to embrace that true statement with what you're doing now, whatever it is. You have to make the decisions that will align with the new truth that you now deciding. Like, for example, for my own life, I started my book publishing uh, series and and wrote my books, I had no idea how wildly successful it was going to be. (laughs) I had to, though, 
decide to become a beginner again, Mm -hmm. meaning I had to learn how to write a book. It is not easy writing a book. It's like giving birth and not only write one book, but the deciding to write two other books and finding the resources for that. I had to make that decision and think, even though I did not have what I needed in the past, the truth is right now, I have the ability to use my own resources to create something that's going to be meaningful for myself and millions of other people. I need to move forward. What can I do at this exact moment to move forward despite how I am feeling or have felt? So for me, I had to realize I can write this chapter. I may not know how I'm going to pay for the printing or pay for the graphic design, but what I can do right now is write this chapter. So that's what I did. And chapter by chapter by chapter, I wrote my first book. And that's what uh, branched off the entire Answers in Leash educational series, chapter by chapter, one step at a time. And it is those decisions to move forward despite what we've gone through in the past and tell ourselves a new truth. Before it was like this, yes. But what I learned through those situations is what I can do right now. Mm. And that is the process to unleash your brain power for the life that you want. You know, you talk obviously about patterns and how patterns is a really big thing for you, not only in mathematics and your job as a rocket scientist, but, you know, patterns within our daily life. Can you speak to us a little bit more on how necessarily this can be something that we can apply in our day-to-day life, not being a rocket scientist, just being somebody who has the passion to want to grow? I think that being able to do the work is a part of our self-growth and that identifying things in which like patterns is something that is very valuable, but sometimes can be very difficult to find. So what would be your sort of lesson towards how we can identify a positive or a negative pattern? Oh, that is a wonderful question. Life is about patterns. I'm a mathematician and I found patterns. And that's what brings me to write my latest book, Answers Unleashed to the Science of Attracting What You Want. Our life is filled with patterns. Mm. And when we repeat a pattern from the past that's based on fear, we start attracting something we don't want. For example, my mom was a person that only, she only had her, her wit and, and skill to be able to get through situations, but she unfortunately didn't have our, our fathers in our life to be able to help her. So seeing that, I didn't know that I could be in a relationship in the future. I didn't realize that I could be in a loving, caring relationship with a man in the future because I didn't see that growing up. So the pattern that I was having in my entire life is thinking, I can do this on my own. I can do this on my own, and which I can. But there is such thing as doing things as a team. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I realized in my own life is that I had to change the pattern. I had to change the pattern of thinking I'm not alone doing this. And, And that was the pattern change. I have a team of people helping me to create great science. I have a team of people helping me to create great books. I have a team of people helping me to get out there in the media with my my Icon PR agency. It's like I have a team of people and I'm not by myself. So if I'm not by myself in in the science or the entertainment, I'm not going to be by myself in my love life either. And it was that shift in thinking. Even though there was a issue before in the past, I can take the knowledge that I have right now and change what I attract. And so I started learning to attract people in my life that were wanting to be a part of a team, wanting to be helpful, wanting to be committed. And there, there was the big shift. And once we identify that we have a thinking that is creating a decision-making pattern. Once we identify that, we can change the pattern by making a new decision. 
the new decision is for me, oh, I'm only going to uh, go out with men who are committed. I'm only going to look at people who have a committed mind frame. I'm going to be friends with people who are committed. I'm going to commit to myself. I'm going to write down these things in a book. So as we make decisions that are going to change a pattern of thinking, that's when opportunities start attracting to us. And it is, I've laid this out uh, with uh, this new math that I break down in an easy to understand set of stories in my book, which we can change the pattern of how we attract things in our faith, in our identity, who we choose to be. Uh, uh, we also change things based on how we uh, impact environments, how we learn, how we take our resources and multiply them, and how we attract people. That same type of thinking is applied to each one of those six areas where we change what we attract based on changing the decisions that we are making. Well, I mean, that then leads me into Answers Unleashed. You know, Answers Unleashed is all about the science of attracting what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, you obviously discussed the six decisions that we can make to create the future that we want. I'm sure we've already covered a few of them already here. If there's any um, additionally that you'd love to throw in to yeah. you know, discuss or to have people start to identify in their own lives, I would love to hear. Yeah, I'm going to give everyone six questions that they can ask themselves. Six, Amazing. These six I love questions. checking in with yourself. Yes, yeah. It's six questions. Write these down and write these down every day. And this is what you're going to ask yourself. And I do this too. So you and I will be doing the exact same thing together every single day. So if you're writing this down, you are going to be doing what I do also. And this isn't easy, but it's meaningful and it's going to change your life. And I say that from authority because I've, I've been practicing this in my own life. The first question that I would like you to ask yourself and that I also ask myself is, do you believe that you are here on earth for a powerful purpose? Yes. So you write that down. And I also write this down on my own piece of paper. Do you believe that you are here on earth for a powerful purpose? And your decision of yes will then allow you to see on a daily basis the reason why you are alive. Every single day is going to unlock a gift for you to see one of the reasons why you're placed on earth. Second question for you to ask yourself, who do you choose to be in the good times as well as the bad times? Who do you choose to be in the good times as well as the bad times? Your answer that to that question is going to define your character. Like for me, I choose to be a person of integrity and it's not always easy <laughs> being a person of integrity. There's times in which I have to really state what's going on even though I don't feel like it. <laughs> But it's, it's, it's part of the integrity. You have to choose to be who you are. Are you a business person? No matter what. Are you a professional person? No matter how your client is treating you. Are, are you a, a, a talk show host? No matter even if nobody has hired you yet. I mean, who are you? You define that for yourself. And when you do, that's your power. The third question that you ask yourself is, do I have the power to transform my environment? When you answer yes to that question, you will see what you are able to do to shift situations to be more positive. And whether it be if you are in a uh, grocery store and someone's trying to cut in front of you in the line, what can you do to shift the situation to be more positive? Or if you are at a very toxic workplace, what can you do to make it more fair? You have the power for that. It is your decision to actually step into it. The third question, the fourth question, actually, you ask yourself is, what do I choose to learn in this moment? So often we think that we can't learn anything. We're out of school. Uh, there's, there's just, we can't become something, we can't become a beginner at things again. The truth is we can learn something new. What, as long as you are alive, you are learning. 
as long as your brain is firing, you are learning. So what can I learn new right now? And, and for me, I learned that this concept of, of my own life story is the same as millions of other people across this planet. And I can learn from each person which I interact with every single time I'm on a show or every time I'm in a keynote talk. I can learn from the people in which I am helping too. Uh, the, the fifth decision is how will, how will I choose to multiply my resources? There's a story in the Bible where a man, a little young boy that turns into a man later, a real young boy gives Jesus this loaf of bread and fish and says, here, take this and feed millions. And Jesus takes the, the bread and fish and he multiplies it and it feeds 5,000 people. The point of that story is understanding that we have been given the gift, no matter what we have, what little we have, no matter how young we are, we have the ability to take whatever we have and multiply it in a way that's going to help many people. So what do you have that you can multiply that will help yourself and other people? And then the last question is, do I choose to love myself no matter what I encounter? And to follow up to that last question is, how can I show myself love? So often we are thinking that because we've done a wrong process, if we've, we've made a mistake or because we're not as successful as another person or because we don't have X, Y, and Z happening in our lives, like what we see on Instagram or, or whatever else, we think that we are not lovable. And the truth is you have your own life independent from someone else and you deserve to be happy being you. And that's how I've, I constantly learn in my own life. It is okay to be Olympia LaPointe. It is okay mm -hmm. to be you. It is okay to be anyone because you are unique and there's no one else. And so start appreciating yourself for what you bring to the table that no one else can. Well, I'm going to be writing those down. I think they're all very useful. I, you know, I, I created mental health incentive called check in with you because it's all about being able to check in with yourself and start asking yourself those important questions because sometimes we can live on autopilot by not really, uh, you know, understanding where our mindset is. We can say, I want this. I want that. I, you know, I'm fearful of how to get there because I don't know the right answers, but instead it's just stripping it back to the president to where you are right here, right now, and understanding what that looks like and how you're speaking to yourself in that moment and reminding yourself those key tools. I think of just saying, you know, uh, do you get show yourself love and how can you show yourself love or, you know, just the simple tool of, will you show up for yourself? I think is a really, really beautiful, beautiful thing thing and something so simple and something so small, but yet still so impactful. So you devise a neuroscience process for reprogramming the human brain to override fear. How can humans simultaneously turn off fear and rebuild the frontal brain lobes? Woo. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, uh, he's a great friend and mentor of mine. As a, he's a neuroscientist. And uh, I've, I've loved communicating with him because he has that medical knowledge and that background of neuroscience. And I have the experience and the math part of my brain to understand how we can think differently using science. And what I've learned from neuroscientists is neuroplasticity. And let me describe what that is. Neuroplasticity is being able to realize that our brains change no matter what, it doesn't, it, our brains is not like a solid mass in our head. No, our brains are living. It's a living organ and it rewires itself. It grows tissues and it has synapses and it's a dynamic type of organ and it rewires itself and changes itself based on the commands that we give it. So whatever you think is a command, that's, that's neuro science and that's specifically neuroplasticity in science, meaning our thinking is giving our brains commands. 
But what allows a thought in our head to become reality is something very powerful. It's a decision. Now, in neuroscience, there's there's two parts to our brain. There's the striatum, and that, and then there's the prefrontal cortex, which is the frontal brain lobes. In our brain, we have a stri. And, and Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz talks about this in one of his famous lectures, and and this is something that I incorporate in my second book, is that uh, our frontal brain lobes is like our steering wheel in our car. If you're driving, you have a steering wheel and it allows you to get to point A to B and you can direct where you need to go based on your steering wheel. But you also in the car have an automatic transmission or even a stick shift if you have a, a manual transmission. You have a, a transmission. That transmission is responsible for putting you in park, putting you in reverse, putting you in drive. We naturally in life have this ability to go, go, go move forward, go. That's how we operate. So when we operate and we move forward, that is like the, that's the natural part that we have. When we experience fear, the striatum, which is our go part, the automatic transmission of our brain gets separated and doesn't talk to the front of brain lobes. So it's like you're going and going and going, but you can't steer your your steering wheel to direct where you need to go. When we experience fear, our striatum doesn't talk to our frontal brain lobes. And then we do things that we're not even aware of. Mm. And that's what uh, uh, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz was talking about. And I take it a step further in my books. Uh, And Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz wrote the forward of my Answers Unleashed um, book. Uh, And what I do is I take that concept further. When we have a situation that we're scared in, we then make decisions on autopilot. Mm -hmm. For example, if there's a smoker and he's used to smoking and when he's stressed out, he'll go and smoke and not even realize that he's just lit in a cigarette and the cigarette is completely almost burned away. He's making these decisions to light a cigarette, not even realizing what he's doing. And I've seen that with even my mom. <laughs> my, my mom would go to the refrigerator when she's really stressed. She'll open up the refrigerator and start eating something and didn't realize she just ate something. And, and I, I realized I had that type of uh, characteristic too. When I was stressed, I would go to the refrigerator and I would like eat applesauce. I mean, it's just things like that. But it's like when we are scared of something, we have to become aware of the decisions that we're making in that moment. Mm-hmm. When we stop, literally stop the car, put it back in park, and take control of the vehicle, that powerful vehicle, and decide the direction that we go, we then consciously can go back down to the to the transmission, take it out of park, bring that transmission to drive, control the speed and turn the car the direction that we need to go in. When we are aware of uh, in a stressful situation, we can stop. We have the ability to stop, figure out where we are, and time seems to stand still in that moment. Because like Albert Einstein says, time is relative for everyone on the face of this planet because we are each unique in a different place in time. Time literally stops for us in that moment. Just like I talk about my other experience where I was praying and time seemed to stop. Time stops for you to make your decision. When you can stop time and become still and figure out the direction that you need to turn, that is when you go to where you need to go. And that's when you take control in your thinking and your decisions, in your neuroplasticity to connect the striatum to the frontal brain lobe so you get to where you need to go. Girl, I'm going to have a full-on talk with myself after this this podcast, I can tell you that, Um, but in all the right ways possible. But I think it is true. Not a lot of us take enough time to make the right decisions 
that aren't already on autopilot, that already feel comfortable to us. It's the uncomfortable decisions that are the ones that actually make change, make movement, make you more secure for the future you keep aspiring to go after. And you can hold yourself back from doing that thinking for quite some time because you could be fearful of what that big shift will come and if I'm prepared for it. But I think it's wonderful for you to say, even writing it down to the moment to where you are prepared for it, then allows you to make those decisions at a point in your life where you go, you know what, I'm not less fearful of it because I know of it. And I know that this is something that I'm purposely ready for. So Thank you for all that you have talked to us about today. You've been absolutely a joy and just so insightful to myself and I think beyond. And it's it's wonderful to obviously speak to you and learn a little bit more about just rocket science and just neuroscience and all these things in which have big, big terms to them, but really do come back to this idea of self-improvement and being able to be self-aware and that everything is really connected. If you want to be able to put your passion into your personal development, there is a great synergy between it and you're a great kind of role model to be able to showcase that. So as I I leave every episode, I ask a few questions that tap into what makes you, you. And we speak so often on the show about building your personalized toolbox to lend to your emotional journey. And I want to know what served you the last time you experienced a flare up or maybe just a challenging moment. What did you do in that moment? I remembered who I was. I am Olympia LaPointe. Before being a scientist, before being uh, a speaker, before being an author, Mm. I'm a person who lives what I mean. What helped me get through is realizing who I am and who I am destined to become. And then lastly, what are three biggest lessons you've learned in your life? These can be moments, feelings, sayings, stories, anything that authentically comes to your mind. The first is what I learned from my mother. All stressful situations do not last forever. That's the first. The second is no matter what I've gone through, I can obtain what it is that I would like for myself. It will be challenging sometimes, and it may not look exactly the way I envisioned it, but I will get there. And third is, it's time to start being happy. Just start being happy with every day, whatever thing that you experience, be thankful for it. Because we are here and this life is a gift. Mm -hmm. Every day that we're alive, we have something that we can be thankful for. What is it? And what I learned for myself is to literally count my blessings and just literally the smallest thing be thankful for. Definitely. Well, we are thankful for you and we are thankful for you sharing all of your expertise, helping so many people on their journey to become authentic and to really be able to give your knowledge of how you have been able to find the groundedness within you and your journey and the development of self and how that grows um, and sharing it here with us today. So thank you so much. And if anybody is obviously looking to connect with Olympia LaPointe, she could be reached at Facebook, Olympia LaPointe, Twitter, Olympia LaPointe, and her website is olympialapointe.com. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all. Oh, it is my honor to be on your show. And if you're looking to continue the conversation around living an unapologetically authentic lifestyle, then this podcast is just for you. Our goal is to build a community in which you feel empowered to celebrate you by hearing inspiring stories of ownership to self. To always remember to lead with the three M's. That's mindfulness, movement, and mental engagement. You've got this, and we're here to support you along the way. So be sure to subscribe and download so you don't miss an episode. It's okay to not be okay in your journey to become grounded in the power of you. Some of the topics we discussed today may have been triggering. If you're in need to speak to a crisis counselor, please text home to 741-741 or head over to projecthealthyminds.com slash Haley for curated resources ready to hear from you.
This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Haley Hasselhoff, Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan Dematty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horenigay, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. This podcast has been produced by Stage 29 Productions for entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast does not constitute medical or professional advice, do not reflect the opinions of this company, any of its parent companies, affiliates, subsidiaries, promotional sponsors, or advertising agencies. The views expressed by the host and the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or an entity they represent. For more information, please go to stage29.tv.